1: You'll find us here, moving iron. Hello, and welcome
0: to Moving Iron Podcast number 271. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Ag Direct. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Well, once again, I've got Tanner Emkey from CoBank here to talk with me about what's going on. In the uh, world of ag economics. So, Tanner, how you doing, man? i great, Casey. Great to be back. I appreciate that, man. So, a lot of stuff going on since we talked last time. There's been uh, pretty significant jumps in, in interest rates. The Fed's raised the interest rate uh, about a point and a half here over the last uh, last 60 days. And what you see happening out there, you've got some uh, dry weather coming through. Commodity prices have taken a pretty significant drop here over the last two or three weeks. Uh, Last couple of days, you've seen uh, a lot of uh, getting back in, a lot of guys coming back in and buying. We've seen some pretty significant jumps up. Uh, We got this heat and and some dry weather coming through the area. That's kind of stirring up a little bit of a, a weather scare. So I guess with all that stuff going on, Tanner, what's your kind of synopsis of what you see happening right now?
1: I think all this combined, Casey, is the sign of the end of times. <laughs> I'd agree. I would agree with you. It feels like that some days. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I mean, this is a, yeah, there's a lot going on, uh, and some people would be scratching their heads, like myself, when you see the weather scares that we've seen yeah. in the Midwest with the heat and then the drought uh, out in the West is just getting worse. I think I saw some temperatures in the Midwest, well, like, over 110 degrees. That that doesn't bode well, typically, for plant development.
0: Right.
1: So, um, some concerning uh, developments there on weather uh, across the entire U.S. almost. And one would scratch their head and say, why are commodity prices down so much? Well, there's a lot going on, as you mentioned. Yeah. And I think we need to step back, uh, take the 30,000-foot view, and what is going on in the world of inflation in general. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll try to apply that, try to find some sort of logical um, reasoning as to what's going on in commodity markets because it's across the entire commodity spectrum we've seen a sell-off over the last month. Um, You know, corn is down almost $2 from its peak. We've seen, you know, crude oil come back. We've seen natural gas come back. We've seen uh, almost... Anything that is a commodity is, has has really seen a major correction here. And so is this the sign of, uh, of uh, inflation uh, finally peaking? Is this the sign of the Federal Reserve's actions uh, finally having the influence or finally having the effect that they desire of cooling off prices? Maybe, maybe not. I think there's a lot to unpack here. I'd say, uh, first of all, you've got um, on the macroeconomic view here in KC, there mm-hmm. is some signs that uh, the economy is cl- cooling off not only in the United States but around the world uh, with uh, consumers pushing back on prices. They're buying less. Yep. Uh, our customers at CoBank uh, are telling us that uh, they are seeing uh, consumers uh, less uh, willing to absorb higher costs. Uh, being passed on from the from the company to the consumer through higher prices uh, on the grocery shelf. And consumers are trading down to smaller packaging. They're trading down to from brands to private label. Um, they're uh, buying less in general. All this is a sign of a consumer that, that's being stressed financially, that they finally had enough of inflation, and they're not willing to absorb those costs anymore. And so, perhaps if you follow that logic through the supply chain, well, if the consumer buying less and they're going to push back on higher prices, if we're seeing inventory builds uh, in warehouses and then grocery stores, and then those prices have to be marked down mm-hmm. uh, in order to move those products, uh, then you back that all the way through the supply chain, all the way down to the farmer and the rancher, and then prices come down uh, for for farmers and ranchers for the for the livestock and the crops that they grow. That makes logical sense. Uh, I think there's more going on there, though, um, that uh, that perhaps might defy logic. As you mentioned earlier, we got uh, some extremely high uh, temperatures that, uh, that are going to impact crop development and uh, reduced acreage in some areas for some crops. And I think probably uh, in a nutshell here, what we've seen in the last month or so, uh, in the correction of commodity markets is more, mo- is more managed money driven. Right. Uh, speculators, management, uh, mm-hmm. or hedge fund managers, et cetera, uh, de-risking, uh, in commodities. Uh, they're taking their money out of commodities. And, um, so they're not, I think that's probably the main driver there, uh, or a major driver of it. And a lot of that is tied to energy and natural gas and, mm-hmm. you know, what have you. And if consumers are going to be consuming, uh, less fuel, um, you know, that kind of impacts a lot of other things because crude oil is really the, the center point of uh, the commodity basket, uh, indexes. Yeah. So I think a lot is tied to what's going on there. Uh, but as for, uh, specifically in, uh, uh, the, the agricultural commodities, um, you know, perhaps there is some optimism that, um, you know, you know crops aren't as bad as, uh, or the, the crop situation isn't going to be as bad as, uh, as thought uh, because, you know, we're seeing, we're hearing, for instance, in Kansas, in some areas, there have been some pretty good wheat yields. Yeah. Um, perhaps in the Midwest, uh, in corn and soybean country, uh, crop conditions aren't as bad as uh, thought, uh, that perhaps this crop can endure uh, some uh, record high heat uh, without, uh, losing a whole lot of yield potential. Remember, this is, you know, here we are in early July, we've still got a long ways to go right. before we get to harvest. Yep. And so uh, we are still trading weather markets or weather forecast, we're in a weather market right now. So that you're, gonna, you're gonna have that natural volatility. So I think there's probably some, um, I guess hope or, uh, for instance, optimism, I guess in, in uh, on the crop side of things that perhaps we're not gonna be as bad. That off. And then there's over in Ukraine and Russia uh, with that situation, um, there has been some grain moving out of uh, Russia. Uh, I think you had mentioned that earlier, and that is mm-hmm. true. The United States has signaled uh, or warned a lot of uh, other countries out there, don't buy this grain coming out of Russia because it's stolen from Ukraine. Right. Yep. Bottom line is that grain is moving, and that is going to loosen the global balance sheet on grain. Okay, that's going to make a less tight, less uh, a less crisis-driven uh, market when you have that grain leaking out of the Black Sea, uh, stolen or not, it's moving into the market. Mm-hmm. Now a lot of these countries that are dependent on this grain coming out of um, the Black Sea region really don't feel they have much of an option. Uh, if you're a, if, if you're a, in Africa and you've got a lot of people starving, they're going to say, you know what? I'm going to feed my people stolen grain or not. They're going to get fed, right. and they're going to take that grain. They're going to buy, they're going to buy the grain uh, from Russia, whether it was stolen from Ukraine uh, or or whatever the the risk is there. They've got other po- higher political risks of a population being not fed. Sure, yeah. So, uh, taking it from that vantage point, um, you know, it, it's you, you kind of it, it's hard to blame those those, uh, those countries for uh, taking stolen grain. So at the end of the day, grain is moving. Um, at the same time, if you look at a few of the other commodities out there, like cotton, for instance, has come back quite a bit. That's going to be tied directly to what happens in the stock market and the global economy. Uh, and so as reason would have it, when you've got a global consumer that's uh, that doesn't uh, have as much wealth as they used to, they're not going to be buying as many clothes. So cotton is going to come down. Uh, but right alongside uh, the energy markets and the stock market. And then, um, what else? We, you, there was another, something else you brought up, Casey. We well, talked I, about <clears throat> conditions. Yeah, I mean, uh, d- that, that condition there,
0: I, and I think we kind of hit that. Federal so, yeah, Federal Reserve, should talk about that a little bit, kind of what you're seeing from an interest rate perspective.
1: Well, it's, uh, you would think that the Federal Reserve is looking at what's going on, and they're going to say, well, we're going to take our foot off the gas on uh, interest rates. That may or may not be the case. Uh, it depends upon uh, the psychology, uh, really, of Jay Powell uh, and his feeling of inflation and the jobless rate. And with, when you look at those two numbers, and those are the two most important numbers, inflation and uh, excuse me, the unemployment rate, because that is their dual mandate. Right. You know, full employment, low prices. Right. If you've gone to any restaurant, anywhere in this country, how long does it wait for you to get your food? It's <laughs> take yeah. a while. It, it is a speaking lot, of lot. That, yeah. If you can even get to the restaurant that's open because a lot of these places yeah. are closed because of bad staff. They can't find more. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think the Fed is at all worried about the jobless numbers going up because we are so tight. In fact, there's a, there's a lot of economists that are scratching their head on what's going on. If indeed we're in a recession right now, it's a weird one. Uh because the jobless numbers are so low. Uh the last quarter we had in the, um Q1 or Q2 showed uh a uh showed negative growth. Yeah. Now if we have negative growth again here in Q in this quarter, um well that that technically would be a recession. A recession is two quarters of negative growth back to back. Right. Uh, that is the the actual definition of a recession. It doesn't for a lot of people out there, it doesn't seem like a recession when you have when you have so many people um, employed and we don't have enough workers. Right. Typically what you see in a yeah, recession. It's opposite it's, that. Yeah. It's the opposite. You have yeah. a lot of people looking for a job. And right now, you have companies desperate to try to find workers. Yep. That doesn't seem like a recession. And so I don't, I'm just. So there's something around. more like a,
0: like a stagflation type of scenario. I mean, I've been, heard, I've heard that tossed around a the, few times
1: where prices go yeah. up and jobless numbers go up right. at the same time.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, typically the, as reason has it, uh, in, uh, inflation is going to go down yeah. when job numbers go up uh, because consumers are uh you they don't have as much money and they're not going to buy as much and so prices are going to drop that's the reasoning here but right now we're in this really weird environment where jobless numbers are really low yep. and uh they may go up but prices may keep going up as well because the jobless numbers are still low uh yeah. even if we have or if even if we are in a recession right now but uh I, there's a lot of speculation of whether we're in a recession right now or not. Uh, most economists I, li- I read and listen to uh, think uh, a recession would be more probable next year in 2023. Yeah, uh, that's what so I've
0: read. That's what I've read a lot too. Is that that recessionary thing? And this, I've read a lot. I've read two, I've, I've, There's two distinct camps out there. One is the you know what <clears throat> we're gonna, we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're in a recession. We're going to really see that recession take off and run September October november time frame of, of 22 and then yeah. you know it's a short-lived deal 23 we're, we're, we're good to go i've read a lot of guys too where they've said that that september october time frame is peak inflation and by this time next year we should see a real dramatic easing of, of interest rates back down because we should be quote-unquote you know healthy again and yeah I, I guess i mean from an economist standpoint i mean what camp are you in because I, I mean i don't i'm i'm just i'm just a dumb equipment guy i have no idea what, what to believe but i mean i'm just i mean to me it's just this is a it's it's like i've never seen it to where it's this divided and like a hardcore line you know you listen to a guy like peter schiff we're we're, got, we're off the cliff and we're we're you know dying tomorrow and then you get guys like rich that's on the show all the time he's like you know i i, I think this is a short-lived thing you know this, this is a business cycle that we're in and yeah. We're going to bounce back. So, I guess, what's your opinion on that as an economist? I guess, what's your what are your thoughts?
1: I don't know. I, I, I'm more of the middle that this is just really weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's my forecast. Things right. are just going to get, it's gonna get weird. Okay. Right it's just going to get weird. These are strange times. Mm-hmm. They just keep getting stranger. So, it's not like I, I've got any deeper insights here for you, Casey. Yeah. My feeling is that uh, we're based on data. Mm -hmm. consumers are pushing back on higher prices credit card uh usage is going up because people have run out of cash that's not a good sign right uh right now we are seeing a lot of consumers feeling the pain Mm -hmm. and that cannot go on forever um if we have a recession i think uh, i think the the consumer is already uh leading the fed on this Mm -hmm. You know, most recessions have been caused, almost all recessions have been caused by the Federal Reserve by raising interest rates. Right. Well, the consumer right now is already feeling it. They may be ahead of the Fed pushing back and saying, no, we're not taking higher prices. We're not going to buy as much. Right. Then we may see that push through the supply chains and uh, that may show up in reduced productivity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Consumption is 70% of the U.S. economy. Consumption is going to go down. Uh, because of the consumer right Make, irrespective probably of what the Fed does right. just because inflation is so high it's the highest in over forty years. Yep.
0: So, so uh,
1: that's kind of in my camp. Because these are weird times. Right. Um I don't I don't want to start looking at what, what's been done in history and trying to benchmark over that because I think we're in un- unprecedented times. Yeah. It's unprecedented times. Yeah. Whatever you whatever you think is going to happen. Just take the opposite position and that's what's gonna happen.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's bet on better on the other side. All right, so let's let's talk okay, so we're talking about, about prices right now. And if you take a look, some of the stuff that's driving price into right now when you look at commodities is where we're at as far as stocks go, right? Where we're at, you know. If you look at the the cattle herd, it's it's the leanest it's been in, in quite a while. There's a lot of uh, heifers on feed right now. From what I've read, that of, of of all time high. So if you're putting you know a heifer to feed to go to the rail, you're not you're not you're not growing the herd, right? You're you're right. sending it off the butcher. Um, you look at chicken and poultry, all that stuff. You start looking at the the rice to wheat ratios and where those things start to play in. Um, you know, the price of wheat's real high, so rice is coming back behind that, but just like everything else, rice is kind of in short supply until we get this next crop in, and what does that look like? Um, do you kind of yeah. get – do you see some pressure just from a simple supply standpoint that you, that you think could be driving some of the stuff that we're seeing, not just as much as it, just because of supply chain issues and those kind of things, but just overall scarcity of world supply of, of grains and, and proteins?
1: Yeah, that was our situation heading into heading into the Russia Ukraine crisis. Right. We were already in a world uh, situation of tightness, mm-hmm. and on uh, raw agricultural commodities. And uh, with the cost of production uh, having gone up as it is, uh, you know that's probably going to impact uh, productivity. Uh, farmers uh, withholding um, chemical applications, for instance, for weed right. and bug control. We're seeing that. Yeah, uh, happen out there, uh, or a lot of people are reporting that, and so that that's going to be impacting productivity uh, in some areas of the world. Uh, tightness in fertilizer supplies. A lot of those places, it's not as bad as expected. Like down in Brazil, apparently they've got all the all the fertilizer they need. Right. Uh, they they hedged pretty hard. They yep. they really hard into this. They bought a lot of fertilizer uh, uh, out of Russia. They were able to get their hands on it and they will build their supplies a heading, uh, or a heading into uh, planting uh, later uh, this year. So it's really this mixed bag of, I think, where we're going to see uh, abundance uh, in some areas, but extreme tightness in others right. uh, of, of global commodities. And the question is going to be, can we move it around? Uh, you know, Are we going to be able to move grains and oilseeds around the world? Uh, and foods of all, all types, uh, when we start getting into it, you know, I look at specialty crops and dairy specifically. Um, we're getting a lot of export business come to the U.S. because um, New Zealand and uh, in Europe, the two biggest producers or exporters, are down hard on production because of weather and regulatory uh, right. constraints. That's more export business coming to the U.S. Uh, because they're not flow- they're not sending those uh, dairy product exports out there like they used to, and that's lifting. Um, global prices higher and makes us competitive. So, we've got a positive story here of, uh, well, we're, we're able to meet that demand in a world of global tightness. On um, specialty crops, on the other hand, we've got a problem here of drought. Uh, uh-huh. We've got a problem of high heat, as we talked about earlier. That's going to be impacting productivity. And we've seen record uh, produce imports in the United States uh, this past year, or this past quarter. Uh, and that is partially due to the fact that we've lost so much production in this country yeah. uh, because of our weather, uh, because of um, disease issues, specifically down in like Florida, for instance. That sort of situation only gets worse and worse every year because of uh, citrus screening uh, that disease. And so our produce imports are record high at a time when other countries are also struggling as well yeah. uh, with the more weather issues and uh, input costs. Uh, the positive here, I'd say... Uh, this all of this global tightness is that shipping rates have come down, Casey. Mm -hmm. And that means, I think, that creates an opportunity here to more efficiently move commodities around the planet uh, from areas of abundance to areas of shortage. How long is this uh, uh, silver lining going to last around this cloud? I don't know. Uh, But shipping rates are still very high, historically speaking. It's just that they've come down. Uh, and I think that will be a positive for a lot of these countries that are stressed uh, on their uh, caloric needs, uh, sure. especially over af- Africa, Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be, I think, in a better position, hopefully, uh, to uh, to get their uh, food grains. You mentioned right. uh, wheat and rice. Yep. I think rice is the saving grace here of all of the food uh, commodities out there. Rice is really kind of holding the ship together. Um, yeah. There's so there's that was the one of the only commodities out there that is of uh, abundant supply. Mm-hmm. So, going forward, I would say with all of this stuff going on with all the, you know, all the food commodities, whether you're talking grains, livestock, dairy, uh, or specialty crops, rice is that one is that 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 it's holding it all together. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So let's talk a
0: little bit about. <clears throat> India and China, right now, for example. So, take those two yeah. countries. There's whatever 1.2 billion in in India and 1.7 billion or whatever it is in in in, um, in, China. in China. So you got almost three billion people uh, out of the seven billion people on the planet in those two countries, right? Um, mm-hmm. China is is under this no tolerance COVID thing, and they're locking things down just tight as they can. Every time, every chance they get a, a, a An outbreak there. They're locking things down, which is really messing with supply chains, but it's also messing with demand for hogs, demand for dairy, demand for those kind of things coming out of the U.S. And and no matter what we do in the world when it comes to the hog supply, like China has to come in. They have to buy hogs from the U.S. in in order for it to work here in the United States. I guess as you take a look at countries like that, you know, like 2012, if you historically go back and look, you know, you had... Arab Spring and those kind of things because of shortages of food and those kind of things. Right? There's, whatever, 54, 55 countries or whatever it is in Africa, and something like 65% of those countries have already had some kind of a coup attempt already in this in this year based around um, food shortages and those kind of things, trying to get the other guy in. That's promising they can have more food if, they, if he becomes the leader and those kind of things. So looking at those kind of situations right now, I guess – what are your What are your thoughts when India finally says, "Okay, we're, we've already stopped wheat; we've stopped flour coming out now, and we're not going to yeah. we're going to export any more rice now um, to anybody." And then you really start looking at that rationing, especially in in China, and you know China's buying a lot of that stuff from India. You know, you start looking at those kind of things.
1: Yeah, and that which is odd. That's it's very odd. They're, they're in
0: a war with each other, but they're still trading commodities. That's the craziest thing on the planet. But you have right. this this whole thing going on. I guess if India tomorrow just says, "You know what? We're we're keeping all the." the rice that we have, we're keeping all the wheat that we have, and we're not going to yes. export this stuff into Africa and in Southeast Asia like we have in the past. What's your thought there? How, that, how does that ratchet things up in not only supply-driven pricing, but just overall world stability?
1: Uh, well, that's exactly the problem. Uh, <clears throat> rice is what's holding a lot of these countries together from food crisis. Yeah, And if uh, <coughs> India... the the number one exporter that Mm -hmm. has been subsidizing all of their exports for a number of years now. Uh, They've been building up their rice inventories and wheat inventories, but really rice is the one that is uh, really ample in the supplies right now. Um, If they were to do like they did with wheat, then we've got a serious problem. Um, The countries that would be the greatest or the regions of greatest exposure uh, of that double whammy if you can put that way, of wheat and rice would be West Africa and mm. uh, Southeast Asia. They are the biggest importers of food grains. Um, really, when you look at combined exports of wheat and rice together, it says West African countries and then places like the Philippines, Malaysia, uh, they're the they're second in line. Uh, or they're, they're ba- they kind of battle, go back and forth in terms of uh, who the biggest food importer is. Right, uh, The food grain importer. And uh, with India shutting down um, wheat exports, now it, it not comes down to rice, and that's what's keeping a lot of those countries uh, afloat. And if they were to turn off their rice exports, good golly, that would be some bad times for a lot of a lot of people, a lot of countries that depend on those uh, exports uh, out of India and out of the Black Sea region, because they're all in that little trading zone. Um, you know, they, they, they can import out of the Black Sea pretty easily the wheat, and they can import rice and wheat out of uh, India, Well, you shut off the wheat exports out of India, and you shut off the wheat exports out of the Black Sea, or at least slow them appreciably. Now it comes down to rice, because we've already seen that happen with wheat uh, out of the Black Sea and uh, wheat out of India, so now it comes down to rice as the one grain that's kind of keeping a lot of these countries afloat. And if they they did that, uh, that would be catastrophic. Absolutely. Uh, I think the the Indian government knows that. And uh, they've said as much, they are not going to shut off rice. Uh, They're going to keep those exports flowing. Uh, I hope they do. Uh, Because now people are trying to, or countries are trying to work with Russia in creating that um, safe channel of trade uh, Mm -hmm. for commodities. And I don't think there's anybody that believes Putin's going to allow allow that to happen. Uh, he wants to use hunger as a leverage, <clears throat> of course, he negotiations. Yeah, uh, he he doesn't want to give up that card. Uh, if he if millions of people need to die so he can get what he wants, so be it. I right. don't think he cares. So I think it really comes now down now to India and uh, are they going to allow the flow of rice? Yeah, that's
0: that's the one thing I'm really paying attention to more than anything. You just is that. That one little indicator right there, because you know, typically the U.S. we have a fair amount of wheat that we can go export, but with the way things look right now, I mean, we've had some good yields in some good parts of Kansas and good parts of Oklahoma, but we've had as on you know, the further west you get into that area, yeah. those those go from you know, I went back you know from Wichita, so I went back forth Fourth of July and talked to some folks and. You know, right around Wichita, it was a mixed bag. You had guys that had 80-bushel dryland wheat. You had some guys that had 15-bushel dryland wheat. It just depends right. on where they were, you know, and on what side of the, of, of, i you know, I-135 they were, they were on, you know, and and it I think, 90s. yeah, so, and those, those kind of things right there where you're kind of starting to smash all that together, and what, and what does that look like? It, it's not a paint in the rosiest picture. I mean, I think it would be good, and from a domestic standpoint, but I mean, the world, you know, supply and those kind of things that come into play. That's my. Uh, that's something I'm paying attention to more than anything. Is because just like you said, I mean, that stability. At least when when the Arab Spring situation happened, and we had you know some uprisings in um, in Africa and those kind of things during that time frame, there are there wasn't already uh, a, a pinch because of a war in two countries that produce thirty percent of the world's wheat. You know, <clears throat> between all those. You didn't have that issue, and now now you have that issue on top of what we have going on right now. It's just compiling that that pressure even greater.
1: Yeah, it's hard to look at that situation and I look and reconcile that with the drop in commodity prices that we've yeah. seen here recently. And uh, most economists or traders I I've, I've talked with believe this is a a buying opportunity because mm-hmm. uh, we're not out of this. Right, we're not out of the. the yeah. I think we're there's a strong likelihood that we may be very short on commodities uh, later this year and heading into next year. Yep.
0: So, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens going through all that. So, all right, so lastly here Tanner, let's take a look at what what you see happening going through the end of the year. Um, Chairman Powell hasn't really said much about going forward as to what, you know, August interest rates might look like, or September interest rates. You know, they kind of played that by ear, and it feels almost like they're going to take these big jumps and kind of wait and see what happens, and take a jump and wait and see what happens. I guess as you're looking at that, you know, economic situation moving forward, what is your feel um, for kind of what you see happening? What, what's your feel moving into the end of 22, going into 23? Do you do you do you see? Do you feel like the Fed's going to be? Maybe we're going to hit it one more time and see what happens, or do you think they're going to sit back and, and, like you just talked about, it's already a a crunch out there, and maybe we should take our foot off the gas a little
1: bit. I think we have to take the Fed at their word. Uh, They're going to take it as the data comes in. And they're going to play it by ear. I think they're scared. I think they know that they're behind the eight ball here. Mm -hmm. They should have been raising rates a long time ago, so now they're trying to play catch-up. How fast can they play catch-up, though, without just cramming it down the – U.S. economy or the U.S. consumer. I think, um, you know, we talked about uh, the jobless numbers are, are so low right now. I don't think it's even on their radar, even though those started coming up. Uh, really, the story is all about inflation. Yeah, uh, it's all about trying to get these numbers down from what we were at eight point six in mm-hmm. May. Uh, just phenomenally high numbers, and um, when you take when you look at the real interest rate, which is with the the inflation? Uh, excuse me, uh, real uh, inflation would take CPI minus the interest rate. We're still extremely high, and so if you want to neutral, you got to raise interest rates to the level of of, uh, of inflation. Yeah. That's a long, long ways to go yeah. to get to that level. I mean, that's a that's a far, pretty far distance to travel in terms of uh, what the Fed is willing or able to do. I don't think they're going to be able to get there. Right, uh, I think uh, they're going to, given the unique economy that we have today, they're, don't, they're only going to be able to go so far. Now, that being said, Chairman Powell has indicated he's a little bit more hawkish. The entire Fed board has indicated right. they're quite a bit more hawkish than they used to be. They're sufficiently scared. They're not wor- worried about unemployment. They are worried about inflation. I you know, they're going to hammer at 75 points in the next meeting. They may do it again. Another 75 points in the meeting after that. Then they're going to look at the damage done, and if they can keep doing it, then they're going to keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, and so, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what effect they have. Uh, you know, the, the, because the economy is so different this time. Uh, because inflation this time around is so different. Yeah. Uh, so much of this supply chain driven. Uh, and so much of it is driven by uh, the number of workers out there that disappeared that left the economy. Well, does the Fed, can the Fed really affect, uh, you know, the, the labor shortage out there? Did they have any impact on that? Do they have any impact on a drought conditions? Do they have impact on Chinese policy as it is with COVID, you know, and mm-hmm. those supply chain issues that, ca- that raise costs uh, on uh, consumers? Um, so much is outside of the Fed's control. I think they—that's uh, the other thing that has them scared—is that they're late to the party in getting inflation under control, and the tools they got don't fit the problem. Right. You know, they have these very blunt instruments for managing in, uh, inflation, and they can't do anything about China. Can't no. do anything about these supply chain issues. They can't do anything about the worker shortage. I—I I think they're scared. I think they are. They found religion. And so, I would not be surprised if they, if they really hammer it over the next few months. They're going to raise it 75 points and then again do it again. They look around. Prices are still high infl- uh, and uh, the unemployment, un- unemployment numbers are coming up. They'll do it again until they get those inflation numbers coming down. And I think they're willing to tolerate uh, probably a lot higher unemployment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, That's just my oh, okay. bias.
0: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, it just makes sense what you're saying because it's logically that's that's the tool they have. Like you just said, the tool they have is a blunt force instrument and it's interest rates, and they keep banging it until they get get the scenario that they they think they want. And here we go. I mean, no different than what Paul Volcker did during, during the 80s when, with Reagan's administration's.
1: I think it's worthy noting there. Now that you mentioned Paul Volcker, that Jay Powell is a fan of Paul Volcker.
0: Yes, he is. He is a fanboy.
1: Fanboy <laughs> of Paul Volcker. Yeah. He, yeah, he's a believer. Yeah, and that's what makes me think mm-hmm. that they're going to go for it. Yeah, and they're going to run these interest rates is pretty high.
0: Yeah, they may not
1: get it to above inflation, but they're going to try to. Yeah,
0: I think that's that's. I think you're right, and so we'll see what happens. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun fun thing to watch I mean not a fun thing to watch but it'll be an interesting thing to watch I guess it's probably a better word to use there but <coughs> but I guess as you
1: yeah they as this all unfolds I and mean, we've already seen the stock market come down housing yeah. prices are starting to come down wow well, if they if they do what I think they, they're gonna do mm-hmm. this could be bloody yep they could get get all these asset prices were overpriced anyway sure
0: oh, absolutely yeah right. going back in just a, a bigger correction period than anything so yeah, fun deal. All right, Tanner, good stuff as usual, man. Folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what it is you're doing at CoBank. What's the best way to do that?
1: Just go to, just go to cobank.com and all of our research is on uh, the Knowledge Exchange tab, at CoBank. Right Co-Bank.
0: So tell tell people what what the correlation is with with CoBank and and AgDirect. How that how you guys are kind of brothers and sisters and some some passion <laughs> there.
1: We're all in the Farm Credit family, there so. Yeah. Uh, farm credit leasing uh, tied in there with uh, Ag Direct. So uh, it's all farm credit. So support the farm credit
0: family. Right on, right on. Tanner Emke, I appreciate <laughs> you being on the podcast, man. Thanks, Casey. Uh, we we'll see you next time. Right on, man. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Also go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check this, this particular podcast out on our YouTube channel at Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. So check that out there. More information about what's happening with Moving Iron, go to movingironllc.com. You can also check out what's happening with the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 6th, 7th, and 8th. You'll see Tanner Amke there, and uh, he'll be giving a a presentation about what's happening there. So check that out. For more information, uh, send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com. I'll be happy to get back to you. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Tanner Amke. Let's move some iron, folks. Out.
1: I'm here moving on